Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined by Justin Nutter and Clint Wilson. No Alex Beth in this episode, unfortunately, but we do plan on having the full cast of characters back when we do our Texas Bowl preview episode here after the holiday. We're targeting the 29th or the 30th, depending on how everybody's schedules sort out as far as travel goes. So be on the lookout for that episode here in the week leading up to New Year's. But for this episode, we've got a number of exciting topics to delve into, chief among them the early signing period obviously wrapping up. We'll take a look at the class that Chris Kleiman and company have currently compiled and how some of those young men project forward for Kansas State. We'll do some depth chart projections for 2020. And we'll also take a look at the staff shakeups that unfolded a couple weeks ago and talk about the future of the offensive coordinator position and how that's going to impact the Chris Kleiman tenure moving forward. So all that said, let's go ahead and kick things off with recruiting and guys. Let's just look at this from the 40,000-foot view. First blush, what are your impressions with this group that Chris Kleiman and company have inked in the early signing period? I feel very okay about this class. It definitely doesn't wow uh, anybody. It's There's not a bunch of like high school superstars that are really jumping out at you, but I think there's a fair amount of guys who, uh, you know, two or three years down the road, we can be pretty happy with. Um, you know, I, I wish there was a couple more guys that we're just really excited about, thinking that they can be instant impact uh, players. Uh, but out of the high school ranks, I think we got a lot of projects. Um, you know, I think it'll look a lot better in a few years than it does right now. Yeah, I think I would probably say I'm underwhelmed overall, but I don't know if it's because of the guys we got so much as the guys we didn't get. Um, there were some pretty gut-wrenching misses in this class, guys that we were once considered heavy favorites for that uh, we came up short, you know, finished second on a lot of guys. That said, there are, you know, like Clint alluded to, there are definitely some bright spots and some pieces to be excited about, specifically on the offensive line. I really like all three signings there. Um, yeah, so overall, maybe a little disappointed, but that's more about what didn't happen than what did. As it stands presently, this class ranks 61st nationally, 8th in the Big 12, and that's going by the rivals scoring system. So we're using those aggregate points that they total up by the signees. Now, two of the prospects that have committed have not yet been graded out. So once rivals does grade those two guys, there's probably going to be a slight bump in terms of the national ranking. It's probably not going to do much for K-State in terms of the conference ranking. It is a little disheartening to see only TCU and Kansas behind Kansas State in that regard. But at the end of the day, this should really come as no surprise to Wildcat fans. This is pretty much the area in which the Kleiman staff has operated. They they got the 51st best class in 2021, the class in 20 was 49th, so slightly better there. And then the scramble class that Kleiman and his group had to put together when he was first hired on was 68. So this is, this is pretty much where this group 
operates and really this is a level of recruiting that k-state fans should be pretty familiar with <laughs> you know going back to the latter part of the snyder 2.0 era that's a, a another topic for another day but let's let's unpack it as far as the offensive signees go and the, the guys who really jumped off the page to me in this this group were the offensive linemen, most notably Jaden Clem. I think he's going to go a long way in fortifying this group for many years to come. Yeah, I mean, we got some guys here that can all play tackle. I think that's what they're coming in as originally, but uh, any one of them can switch down to guard if needed. Uh, Clem is a little higher rated. Uh, he plays left tackle. I watched his highlight tape. They have a lot of him playing uh, defensive end. Um, so he's clearly pretty athletic, but, uh, the other guy, Pastor, uh, he plays right tackle in his highlights. He actually really impressed me with his blocking. And we say all the time on here, we don't know what we're talking about when it goes to offensive linemen. I mean, we're just <laughs> casual fans in that sense. But I mean, as far as a high school offensive lineman, he looks pretty dominant. He's a guy that I think can, uh, really be something special here going forward. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at really the last couple signing classes, it's funny because, I think back to when Kleiman first got here and we could not funny. I can say this legally. Now we could not pay kids to come here to play offensive linemen at the time. Um, you know, I know he inherited that five senior starting front five um, that first year. And that was kind of a gift, but at the same time a curse because the cupboard was pretty bare behind him. But like you look at some of the guys that he's been able to add, you know, guys like Andrew Langang who have, you know, gotten all the praise in the world or like, Hadley Panzer, who, you know, kind of surprised some people and got extended playing time, meaningful snaps this year. Um, Connor Riley's really building something there. And I think, you know, all for, for all the reasons Clint just mentioned, like there's plenty more reason to be excited. Clem is probably my favorite signee in this class. Um, I love anybody with any kind of NFL ties. You know, the fact that his dad is the Steelers offensive line coach, had an NFL career himself. I think he won three Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. Like, that's definitely, you know, he's going to be a well-coached kid, you know, and I, I uh, saw on Twitter earlier this week that, you know, he's kind of a film junkie. So, like, I mean, lots of good things to say there. I don't know a ton about the uh, the third kid. I'm sure I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Drake Bequeath. Um, any objection? That's what uh, I that was a, saying. Uh, that okay. was a hell of a lot um, better than what I was going to throw out there. So we'll roll with that. <laughs> yeah, no, not, not, I don't know a lot about him, but, uh. You know, and just knowing what we already have and the fact that a lot of our better offensive linemen are still underclassmen and we've really kind of bolstered that room in the last couple of recruiting classes. Yeah, there's tons of room for optimism on, on that front. There's actually one other kid that I failed to mention at the outset. My apologies to him. John Pastor, the 6'6", 285 product out of Erie, Colorado. ESPN has him rated as the 31st best offensive guard in the class, fourth best overall player from the state of Colorado. Clint touched on it a little bit earlier. Connor Riley and company have sought out guys who are versatile at 6'6". You obviously have the height to kick out to tackle and feel comfortable there if there's a need at that position. And at 285, you have to be pretty excited that he's already pretty close to what his fighting weight's going to be by the time he's a junior and senior. So you've got a guy here who, frankly, isn't going to be an immediate contributor. I, I don't think any of these guys in this group will come in and, and, and command snaps uh, in 2022. But the staff has shown the penchant for rolling guys into the lineup 
to get the meaningful snaps, so I won't take it totally off the table. Uh, but I think if you see any of these guys, uh, I think the most likely candidate will be Clem. And, and frankly, I don't think you're going to see any of them in meaningful game snaps unless there's been some some catastrophic injuries along uh, the starting five for next season. But at the end of the day, I'd say this is probably the best core group that Connor Riley and company have reeled in in their time here in Manhattan. So you look forward to 24 and 25. I think this is really when you're, you're going to see all these guys really start to pop. Now, we'll keep it on the offensive side. We're going to shift gears and look at some of the skill position talent. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't touch on uh, yet another Lockett signing up to play uh, for the fight in Kansas State Wildcats. Sterling Lockett out of Blue Valley. I think fans first and foremost need to temper their expectations of Sterling, not just for the short term, but also when projecting forward and looking at the type of production you're going to get out of him over the course of his Kansas State career. This is where that Lockett name is both a blessing and a curse. You're going to inevitably have K-State fans that go back and look at Tyler's recruiting profile coming out of high school and see a lot of similarities when comparing that to Sterling's. And, and for all intents and purposes, the pure measurables, they are the same. They are roughly 5'9", 160. Both are two-star prospects, and neither one of them had a whole lot of attention from other Power 5 schools coming out of high school. All of those things are true. However, Tyler wasn't is a special talent. He's putting together an NFL Hall of Fame-type career with the Seahawks. If you go in with the mindset that we need that type of production out of Sterling by the time he is a sophomore or junior, I, I think you're setting yourself up for significant disappointment. Sometimes a two-star prospect grades out as a two-star prospect for a reason. He needs a couple of years in the strength and conditioning program to add muscle to the frame, to develop the top-line speed that he's going to need to achieve to actually be a contributor for a Big 12 team. I think that's what K-State has landed with Sterling. I think this is going to be a guy you're going to have to wait a couple of years on to see. Clint and Justin, how do you feel about the signing of Sterling, and what do you foresee him contributing to this team over the course of his Kansas State career? If he didn't have Lockett in his name, then I would I would really question this signing. I mean, even the highlights that K-State put out today, I mean, it's like three bubble screens in a row where in two of them he just gets like eight yards. Uh, but... You know, that locket in his name, I mean, you really can't count out anybody in this family. So I'm not questioning the signing at all, really. I mean, they've been proven right too many times before by going with this family. So he's a guy that I'm happy they have in the fold, and I'm excited to see where his career goes. But um, I don't think it'll be like the other three lockets where he's a contributor as a freshman. I think it will take a little bit more time for him if he does end up being a contributor. Uh, but we'll see. I will be the first to admit, and I don't know that I've ever been more wrong about anything in my K-State fandom, that I did not think Tyler was going to be anything close to what he was in his time at K-State. So maybe I'm just a terrible evaluator. That's probably more true than anything. But uh, yeah, all that to be said, I, I agree with you, Clint. Like, he's probably going to have to climb the ladder. Um, there will be probably some added pressure based on his family name. Let's be honest, he was never not going to K-State. Uh, his rival's profile only lists one offer, and frankly, there probably only ever needed to be one offer. So, um, yeah, you know, excited to see if he can continue on that legacy, even in a even in a smaller role. But, uh, yeah, time will tell, but uh, d definitely more of an uphill battle, I think, than any of the uh, previous lockets. 
just a couple other notes on Sterling before we do move forward. He finished his high school career with 65 catches for 1,018 yards and 10 touchdowns. ESPN did have him rated as the 10th best player coming out of the state of Kansas in this 2022 class, so he does have that distinction. Again, we all know that the pedigree is there with the Lockett family. The lineage is there. I think everybody, at least on this podcast, is being much more measured in their their expectations for Sterling in terms of what he'll give Kansas State over the next four to five seasons. You're going to have to be patient with this one. And if if he comes in and wows the coaches in fall camp and starts to make contributions immediately, I think that is when you start to dream a little bit with Sterling. But again, I'm not expecting it. And, and, and frankly, I won't be disappointed if he doesn't come in and blow people away in in fall camp of 22 i'm more than content to wait i feel like we've got some good options in the wide receiver room with keenan garber rj garcia and others and frankly it's time for those guys also to, to step up we'll talk about the wide receiver room and the depth chart here a little bit later on in the show i do want to talk about a couple of other signees on the offensive side of the ball before we transition over to the defense k state went up to the state of nebraska and plucked out not one but two tight ends Braden Lofton out of Omaha and Garrett Oakley out of Columbus. Both kids check in at 6'5", 210, so you have to like the frame on both of these young men. Garrett, the more highly regarded of the two, he was ranked as the 21st best tight end in the class, according to ESPN. He has career records for his high school with 107 receptions and 1,640 yards. Braden Lofton is no slouch, so don't misconstrue that. He finished in the top 10 in his school's history for career receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. Again, this is another group where there's been a pretty concerted effort by the coaching staff to build and and really fortify the room. You've got good talent in there already with Sammy Wheeler and Connor Fox, and I think these two just go a long long way in bolstering that for the uh, for the future after Wheeler and Fox have uh, have exhausted their eligibility. Now we know this program does not presently have a full-time offensive coordinator. Colin Klein has been made interim OC for the bowl game. Regardless of whether Kleiman elects to promote Colin full-time to that position for the 2022 season, or if it's Tim Polisek from Wyoming who's brought in, or if it's another outside hire, Regardless of which direction Kleiman goes, this program is not going to fundamentally change who it is and what it strives to do on the offensive side of the ball. I think a lot of K-State fans are having trouble coming to grips with that or either failing to acknowledge or refusing to acknowledge it. They're wanting something completely different. That's a different topic for a different show. But this staff has recruited the tight end and H-pack position very heavily since Kleiman arrived a couple of years ago. That's been done for a reason. I don't really know if these guys are going to come in immediately and get snaps. I, I wouldn't rule it out. The staff has shown it's willing to embrace the four-game redshirt rule. I think if either one sees the field early on in his respective career, it's in short yardage situations where the Cats need an additional blocker or we're looking at mop-up time, trying to get some younger guys reps uh, against an FCS school, whatever the case ends up being. I think that's going to be the most likely scenario why you would see either one of those two on the field early on. But at the end of the day, I love the size that those two come in with. I think they've got good measurables there. Looking forward to seeing what they can contribute to this offense a couple years down the road. That being said, guys, 
any other thoughts on either the tight end position or any of the other offensive signees here uh, before we pivot and make the move over to the defensive side of the ball? Uh, Tyson Struber, listed as an athlete from uh, Little Galva, Kansas, 6'2", 188 pounds. I mean, he might be that bigger receiver that you're looking for. Um, I think a lot of people probably have written him off being from such a small school, no competition, but you watch his highlights, and he's a pretty smooth athlete out there. Um, I don't think he's going to amaze anybody by his, you know, just flatline speed, but uh, I think he's a guy that can work his way in there, and um, I, he's, I'm kind of excited about him. He's as, as far as all the pass catchers that we've gotten in this class, he's probably my most, uh, the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, he's uh, definitely kind of flown under the radar. You don't hear much about him. I think was he one of the? Uh, he's going to blue shirt, correct? He didn't actually sign today. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's. Uh, completely just due to his the coaches undervaluing them uh, themselves um you kind of see that with some of the local kids that i think it's proximity more than anything yeah yeah they're they're not worried about him going somewhere else so they can uh, kind of manipulate the uh how the classes come together um you know don't ask me all the reasons for blue shirts but there's there's a reason for it and uh trust the coaches on that and trust them to know who's going to stick around uh, for that blue shirt and not be offended and go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, people might have already forgotten that Felix Andy DK Uzama was a blue shirt, and mm-hmm. that's working out pretty well for us. Now, a blue oh, shirt is you, you're you on scholarship by fall camp, right? Yeah, I think they have to pay their way the first semester. Okay. And they're able to somehow count it back to, to the next recruiting class. Okay. Something like that. You got to know how to play the game, boys. You got to know how to play the game. I admittedly did not include Struber because I know he did not sign. However, as you both just alluded to, the wheels are in motion. It's going to occur. Go watch Struber's reel. He he is a special talent. I, I certainly hope he ends up on the offensive side. I, I've touched on it. There's a lack of size in the wide receiver room, and there will be a, a noticeable dearth there after Malik Knowles exhausts his eligibility. So, again, that's my hope for him. But as we know, career paths can be altered by by need, by attrition, there's a lot of different elements. So he could end up on either side of the ball in my mind. So that being said, I think it's an opportune time now to transition over and look to the defensive side of the ball, having spent so much time talking offense. Defensively, the big name in this group, and you love seeing it when it's a, a homegrown kid, Toby O out of Wichita. I'm not even going to take a stab at the last name until I see kstatesports.com get a pronunciation up for me to listen to. So Tobio, far and away the most gifted athlete of the group. What do you guys like about him? Uh, Toby's definitely the one with the biggest upside, I think. Um, maybe along with the, I haven't said his name out loud yet, Donovan uh, Ryman? 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 That's, that's how I would say it, Ryman. Okay. Um, you know, those are two guys who I think... Um, are a little bit of projects, but uh, once they fill out a little bit more, then they're, they're both going to be some athletic studs here at K-State. As far as the guy who I'm most excited about, I I believe he's our only Juco this year. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just blanking on his name for a second. Kobe Savage. How can I blank on that name? What an elite (laughs) name right there. Uh, I just watched his tape for the first time today and I was incredibly excited after I saw that guy. I think he's the most smooth athlete that we got. 
I mean, being a JUCO guy, he's probably going to be um, somebody who's counted on right away, especially with our depleted secondary this year. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be back there at safety or maybe they try to stick him at nickel. Um, I was getting a little bit of Tyrone Matthew vibes when I was watching him. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see him at all. Yeah, I think Savage would definitely be my pick as well. I believe we flipped him from North Texas this week. Is that yep. correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not necessarily making a player comparison, but you kind of hope it's a, a Reggie Stubblefield kind of deal, kind of deal where he kind of comes out of the comes out of the shadows at the last minute and you know turns into a ball player for us. So yeah, definitely reason to be excited there. Another guy that I I'm very much looking forward to see play is Jordan Perry. Uh, again, this is another. Uh, taller DB at 6'2", 190, and this is a guy coming out of uh, Georgia. This, And again, you think back Duke Shelley uh, from the Peach State as well. K-State's been able to get in there and, and pluck a couple guys out here and there. Uh, that's the, And these, and frankly, I think we were talking about this, Clint, uh, a little bit earlier before we started recording, and we'll dive into this, obviously, when we talk about projections for the roster for next year, but um, the secondary pretty thin <laughs> looking back, uh, with the departure of, uh, Ross Elder, not expected to come back Jerron McPherson done with eligibility. Um, you lose T Denson to the transfer portal. Uh, th- things are starting to thin out a little bit in the secondary. I-, I don't know if this is a kid who can come in right away and play, but I, I do like, uh, the upside, somebody who came in, um, uh, he was ranked uh, as an athlete, uh, looking at this from 24-7. They had him ranked 79th in the country uh, in the, for this uh, upcoming class. Racked up 86 tackles uh, and 10 TFLs uh, and five picks in his career. Uh, I, I think this is a kid who might potentially have an opportunity to, to get into that defensive backfield early. Uh, I don't know next year early. Uh, but just knowing how thin things might be in the secondary with with so many guys departing, uh, this guy might have more than you know a puncher's chance to actually get some snaps in there. So Jordan Perry is another name, 6'2", 190-pound DB out of Jefferson, Georgia, that I am very excited about. A couple other guys I'll mention. Another guy we got out of the Peach State, B.J. Payne, also a bigger DB listed 6'3", and uh, 190. Uh, he's the ranked as the 81st best linebacker. I'm, I'm assuming that we might be projecting him out to be in that safety position. Uh, so that's another one that I'm pretty excited about. Clint, I, I know you mentioned on Twitter a little bit earlier today uh, that K-State's had some success again with kids getting kids out of Georgia. And I think that's a state that you have to go in there and tap because frankly, so much of that state, you know, you, you have so many SEC teams coming in and they're, always over over recruiting uh, and there are certain kids that can easily fall through the cracks and there's th- two and three stars from Georgia that probably don't get the type of attention that they deserve because there's so much talent in that state. Yeah, for K-State in the early 90s it was Florida, in the late 90s it was Texas and now they're really uh digging their heels in and uh you know just going after all these Georgia kids that they can find. Um, they're still getting kids out of Texas and occasionally Florida, which you got to do. You got to go get those states where you get the super athletic guys. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you're not getting exactly what you want out of a certain place, then you can find it somewhere else that's maybe being a little undervalued. Then by all means, do that. I, I did want to touch on uh, Perry, who you were talking about earlier, since I love uh, 
um, comparison so much. I was watching his highlight tape, and I saw a little bit of Rashad Washington out there, especially since he was out there lined up as running back too, both running back and safety, just like Rashad was. Um, kind of a bigger guy who uh, definitely wasn't afraid to hit and was also pretty dang good in coverage too. Yeah, you have to you have to love the fact that he's already up around 200. So that's and, and like you to your point, Rashad was a much bigger safety, very thick body guy, but he would come and he would lay the wood on you when, when he when he made contact. He was one of my favorite players to watch on those two uh, those O two and O three teams. And man, if Jordan Perry is anywhere close to that, I mean. Rashad Washington ended up being an NFL draft pick, you know, when his time at K-State came to a close. So if we can get that type of production out of Jordan down the road, I will certainly not complain. Uh, Any other guys uh, on the defensive side? I know, you know, we touched on Tobio. It's in that uh, that's one kid. 6'3", 210 out of Wichita East loves. And this is frankly one of the the better signing really I guess when you get right down to it, this is probably the biggest signing that the staff has had out of the state. I mean, would you guys agree there? Oh, shoot. I would have to really think about that for a second. Off I don't want to forget anybody. Off the top of my head, no one's coming to mind. Yeah. Well, considering I just, I like you said, I had that tweet about Georgia, but then I also updated my uh, map for Kansas. Uh, Keenan Garber was an awfully good get. Um you know, Cooper BB, we maybe weren't that excited at the time, but he's obviously turned into something very special. True. Yeah. Um, Cody Stuffelbean hasn't really panned out so far, but uh, he was a pretty good get at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. Toby, Toby's probably the most exciting recruit we've got for sure. You notice I'm just saying Toby because I, <laughs> I haven't heard that last name yeah, I think yet. we're all afraid to try it. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, we don't want to give it the old uh, Tim Brando there, throw 14 pronunciations out there. But um, you have to like, again, the, the size right off the bat at 6'3", 210. Very encouraged, uh, again, by that. Um, and I guess my other question to you, just knowing how thin the linebacker room in, in particular is, and just looking at what we have coming back, Daniel Green is obviously um, – not penciled in that's a that's a sharpie at one of your linebacker spots but (laughs) it's uh it's pretty wide open not only on the other side but really when you look at the two deep as well that's that's a position where i think anybody could really if if he comes in and has a great fall camp he could potentially be a guy who's in line to get some some snaps here yeah they've kind of switched up their positions on defense and it's kind of hard to project how all the high school players are going to fit into them is he going to be more of that uh, big nickel that uh, Ryan Hennington and Wayne Jones was uh, occupying this year? Was he going to be more of the uh, Cody Fletcher and uh, Austin Moore? Um, I, I haven't heard any talk of him being the middle linebacker like Daniel Green, but I mean, I think he's going to be a pretty big kid. I don't know how that really affects where they want to put him. But as far as this year, I, I, I don't think he would crack that this year just because there's you know, last year's class, we had Gavin Hasselhorst, we had Crew, was it Crew Jackson? Um, Jackson. Yep. Yeah, and then Devontae Pritchard. I don't, I don't know if he's going to pass up those guys in one year. Um, you know, another linebacker we got this year, Jake Clifton, I might be a little bit more excited about than uh, Toby, and I'm pretty excited about Toby, so that tells you what I think of uh, Clifton. He's a little bit smaller, 
but I, I think he's quicker. He's a pretty rangy guy, sideline to sideline player, and um, another guy that'll uh, that'll uh, lay a pretty good lick on you too. Yeah, I think to, to answer your question about his potential to crack the two deep, um, there's just a logjam of too many unknowns. I think you know for all all the guys Clint just listed, like there are four or five potential contributors there that we know a collective nothing about. So probably too hard to tell at this point. Very true, Netter. I know that's always the challenging part when we start evaluating recruiting classes. But at the end of the day, I do think there are a number of guys that you can be excited about with this group. I know when it's all said and done, this class is likely going to rank in the the mid-50s, which most K-State fans should know and, and be <laughs> and be comfortable with, with that ranking. Uh, not saying you have to be thrilled with it. I, I know we've all been hoping and wanting to see this contingent of coaches start to get this group up consistently in the 40s and potentially into the 30s and they've they've still to that point have struggled to win a lot of recruiting battles you, you hate seeing iowa state in particular come in and pluck so many kids out of the kansas city area and and there's there's just a lot of things that matt campbell unfortunately has an adva- advantage over he's got you know he's been in that program for six years now so he's got the the advantage just in terms of being more established and his message hasn't really wavered they've had continuity with their staff and and i I know at this point Kleiman and company have been striving towards that now there's going to obviously be a staff shakeup which we'll touch on here shortly but i i still think there are guys within this group that they've managed to compile at this point that you can be excited about i think the the prospect everybody else is really Perked up on is Adrian Martinez in the transfer portal, obviously, and, and K-State has been fortunate enough to land his services for the 2022 season. That's a huge coup for for so many different reasons. I think the, really more than anything else that the reason fans are excited about that is just because of the alternative what you were looking at with the prospect of of will howard coming back and running the show um and also not knowing who's going to be offensive coordinator there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what what's going to happen with this offense looking at next season but i think by landing a guy like Adrian Martinez, you have certainly raised the the floor for the 2022 team, knowing that you have so much coming back with with Deuce Vaughn, uh, a couple of the tight ends. You've got some guys in the wide receiver room that really need to step up, though. That that's going to be, I think, the biggest question, and and in, in terms of whether or not Adrian Martinez can elevate this this team and this roster from. A middling six and six, you know, three and six in conference play type of team, or to get them up into the to the eight and four, nine and three stratosphere. I think that's that's the biggest question right now. The other thing that for me that was really hard to to process in all this was the fact that Kansas State was going to land somebody out of Nebraska, and again having grown up in the '90s and knowing the the disdain that that Bill Snyder harbored for that program it's so hard for me to process that we're now seeking out somebody from Nebraska. I know times have obviously changed and whatnot, but still that's just one thing that I've been, that I've really struggled to process. No, I, uh, I, I had to walk myself back a little bit when I first heard the prospect of Martinez coming here. Like I, I still absolutely that hatred for Nebraska still, still inhabits me for sure. Like I, 
my first thought when I heard his name tied to the program was like, Ugh, no, I don't want him here. But like once I took a step back and, you know, kind of realized that, yes, that would still be an upgrade from what we potentially have coming back. No, it right there with you that like it, it definitely hit the ear wrong when I first heard it. Yeah, it was kind of weird, just like you said, but also it's weird because, you know, he's not an elite prospect. So I kind of have to wrap my head around the two things, him coming uh-huh. from Nebraska and him also being, you know, possibly the record holder for the most turnovers in college football history going into his <laughs> sixth year. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, he's a better prospect than Will Howard is at this time. Jake Rubley is at this time. And if he can get us some more wins, uh, I'm all for it. And a quick glance of Adrian Martinez career stats at Nebraska. Again, a four year starter for the Big Red. Uh, lifetime completion percentage of 63.5 has thrown for 8,495 yards, 45 touchdowns to 30 interceptions. Now, I will say when you look year by year at what he accomplished, frankly, his best season might have been his freshman year when there was no no book on him, so to speak. Uh, highest number of completions for a season, highest in terms of completion percentage, second highest in terms of yards, highest in terms of touchdowns with 17, and his best season in terms of touchdown interception ratio with, uh, with a 17 to 8 TD to INT. The only thing really that he improved on over the course of his career, uh, and really you saw that manifest this past season more than any other was his yards per attempt. He was really doing a good job pushing the ball downfield this past season for Nebraska averaged almost 10 yards an attempt. Now, again, this is where we get back to that question. Who's he going to be throwing the ball to? There's a lot of concern on that front in terms of what you have in the wide receiver room. And to that point, I think this is a good opportunity to transition now and look to what we're projecting for the depth chart for 2022. And I think with Martinez, again, there's no question about it. Now he will be QB one. Uh, I know there is, he's going to be recovering from an off season surgery on his shoulder and whatnot. And he's going to be limited in terms of what he can do in the spring, but he is still undoubtedly going to be your guy heading into fall camp. But I guess looking at the rest of the offense, who has everybody really excited for the, the upcoming season? Well, the excitement is all about Deuce Vaughn. I mean, <laughs> that's the guy sure. who's going to put the butts in the seat at uh, the bill this upcoming year. I mean, we got a superstar running back, and we need to build around that. And the best thing that we can have for a superstar running back is a great offensive line, which is probably the biggest positional strength on the team going forward. Um, Cooper Beebe, I think, is a star. Um, at left tackle, a lot of people want him to move to guard, but he, I mean, he's been so good at tackle that, uh, I think you keep him right where he is. He'll probably be play guard in the NFL, but he's definitely good enough to play tackle right now. I mean, he's first string, first team, all big 12. Then you got, uh, uh, Christian Duffy who, you know, might be the weak part of the line going forward. He didn't have a great year, uh, in 2021, but uh, hopefully he's able to improve. If not, you got KT uh, Leviston, you got um, uh, Whit Mitchum, you got uh, Carver Willis, Kingsley. I oh, man, that's another last name that I'm still afraid to say. Ugu. Ugu. Okay, a lot of guys there that are ready to take the reins if um, you know Duffy's not up to it next year. 
you know, Bill Snyder didn't like to take uh, starting jobs away from seniors, but I think, uh, you know, a, a coach who's going into his fourth year needs to win now. You got to put your best players forward. So if that's Christian Duffy, that's great. If it's someone else, um, you know, put them in there. Then as far as the uh, interior of the offensive line, I really like Taylor Potier. I really like Hadley uh, Panzer. I really like Andrew Langang. And then uh, KT Levinson's another guy who can move all over the field. He can play inside. He can play outside. Um, he could be a starter. He could be a depth piece. I think the offensive line's looking good, looking good going forward here. I would be curious, Clint, just at, like, who do you think is going to be actually, like, uh, snapping the ball next year? Uh, they've said before that they expect Hadley Panzer to be the, the center going forward. Okay. Um, you know, they've had, um, they've had Hayden, uh, Gillum as the uh, backup center for the last couple of years now, but uh, I don't know if they expect him to be a starter going forward or if he's just a depth piece, you know, okay. one time walk on, um, I'm kind of ready for a little infusion of strength and athleticism going forward post, uh, Noah Johnson's tenure at center here. We talked about it at the outset when we discussed the offensive linemen who signed during the early period. The least sexy position group is one in which K-State has built and continues to build a, a remarkable amount of depth and has done a great job in the talent acquisition side of things. I, I have not had any concerns in that area at all. And I love what Connor Riley has been able to, to do as offensive line coach during his time here at Kansas State. Love the fact that the guys, the coaches just in general on offense have been willing to rotate guys in to the offensive line. I, I know there's always the concern with disrupting the continuity during the course of a game, but they also understand the value and how invaluable it is to give guys in-game reps, particularly young guys, to see how how the offensive line can perform with a new combination. Uh, again, I, I, I love the fact that they're willing to do that. I don't know if anyone, again, jumps off the page and wows so much during fall camp or wows so much during the course of practice next season that Clem or Pastor, whoever it may be, would get snaps in a meaningful in a Big 12 game in, in, in like meaningful scenarios, but I won't rule it out. So, again, no major concerns whatsoever with the core group of offensive linemen, no major concerns. This is not going to be an, an instance where we're going to be worried about this group's ability to pass block, run block, and whatnot. And we know Deuce Vaughn doesn't need uh, much of a hole to be able to slither through and bust open a big 50 or 60 yard run. He's obviously his, his stature uh, obviously is conducive to that. Now you've got the quarterback position solidified. You've got, one of the most dynamic running backs in all of college football. You've got a great offensive line in place. As we touched on, the biggest concern is the pass catchers, particularly the wide receivers. Malik Knowles has been... I don't even know what the word is to characterize it. He, he We know he's dynamic when the ball is in his hands. He's a remarkably smooth runner for a guy his size when he's taking those fly sweeps around the edge. But it, it was just a struggle for Messingham and Skyler to, to, to draw plays, to execute plays, to get Malik the ball consistently in the passing game. So that that and that's going to be one of my chief concerns. If Malik does come back, how, how often is he going to be targeted week in and week out? That's one thing where, again, I feel like you, you should 
try and force the ball to your best wide receiver rather than trying to run little gimmicks to to get the ball to one of these shorter guys on on a, on a seam route that's triple covered or whatever. Uh, th- there's a lot of concerns there on the passing front, but my question to you guys there is looking at who is available in the wide receiver room, who is your lean in terms of the guy that is going to emerge as that reliable number two option? I've always thought Phillip Brooks is a, is a nice piece to have, but I think he's reached his ceiling. I don't think he's someone that you're going to, um, you're going to be able to game plan around. He's someone that, uh, you know, can do drags across the middle. He can, uh, he can get open when he needs to. He's a reliable, reliable player. But if we're talking about guys who um, can take your team to the next level, that needs to be either Keenan Garber or RJ Garcia. A couple of guys who can take the top off the defense, can um, you know take short passes and turn them into long gains. Um, I think they're both a little undersized still. I know Keenan Garber is having trouble just getting off the line, beating the press. Um, you know, another offseason to gain some strength. Um, both of those guys can hopefully take a leap forward and improve this wide receiver group because um, right now it's definitely the weak spot of our offense. Yeah, I would definitely lean more Garber just because he's had an extra year in the program compared to Garcia. You know, I don't think we really know what Garcia could be yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely a lot of speed. You know, we saw flashes of it. I think we, you know, hit a home run to him in the Oklahoma game. This is the first the first play that comes to mind with Garber. So it's like, you've seen flashes, you know, it's there, but uh, definitely, you know, his time to step up to the plate for sure. And RJ Garcia was starting to get some, some more meaningful snaps later on. We saw him come in at garbage time against uh, KU uh, in the later stages of the season. Then we started to see him get some more snaps here and there. Um, I'd be interested to see what he can do. And and Clint, I guess the other guys in, in that wide receiver room right now, um, I, I you know you don't want to be dismissive and, and write guys off or anything like that. But I guess is there anybody on that that projected uh, too deep that you had that maybe we see come and break into that lineup, like a guy like maybe Xavier Gordon or Brennan Hawkins. So Brennan Hawkins is a big guy, kind of like uh, Sebastian Taylor, who um, is not an elite athlete, uh, but if he can come in and learn how to use his size against defensive backs and kind of get good positioning, out-muscle them for the ball, the quarterback's going to have to put a little trust in them. Um, You know, we haven't heard too much out of him. He's only a redshirt freshman going into this next year. Um, You know, who was the other guy you said? Was it some walk-on? Uh, Xavier Gordon was another one that I threw out there. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about him, honestly, but um, a former walk-on that I'm at least a little bit excited for is Ty Bowman. You know, he's the one that blocked the punt against West Virginia this year that led to a touchdown. Um, you know, if he can uh, continue doing great things on special teams and then maybe do a little transition into offense, he's a big body guy from Kansas that, uh, you know, he like to see those guys do well. I think he has a chance to get out on the offense and uh, get some size out there. Is there any potential that we see like a Cade Warner use a COVID year and come back? You think? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know his desire or uh, Stanton Weber's Stanton Landry 
Landry. <laughs> say that didn't sound right. One of them, uh, Landry <laughs> Weber. Like e- either one of them, I w- I would take. Um, just with the uncertainty in this wide receiver room, just having sure. somebody who's a little bit more reliable back there, a senior leader, wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't think. Also, one more note, uh, Garcia. I had to go look it up because I couldn't remember. Garcia's red shirt was preserved. He only played in two games this year, so that's probably worth noting as well. Okay, so he can go out and ball out in this uh, bowl game then. Uh, nope. yes, uh, he only yeah he could. You're absolutely right. The opportunity is there, and obviously with Tyrone Howe leaving, wide receiver, uh, we're going to need somebody to take those snaps. So, uh, you know, they all can't go to Eric Hommel. Let's let's not forget about our 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 solid possession guy there as well. Um, real <laughs> real quickly here. Um, the tight end, uh, tight ends that talked about it. Uh, there's, there's good depth there with, with Wheeler and, and with Connor Fox. Um, Nick Linners will not be getting his 19th year of eligibility. Uh, at least that's not what I, uh, what I believe will happen. Um, but I guess, do we have any other name like Will Swanson? That was another kid, redshirt freshman. Uh, again, apparently this we just go to Nebraska to just get tight ends. That's yep. <laughs> uh, he was from Papillion, Nebraska. Uh, I believe that's where we plucked Alan Everidge out of many years ago. Um, do we have any kind of expectation for him to potentially get into the fray, or or, or is it really just Connor and um, and Wheeler as kind of your one two there? It seems like they like Swanson as that uh, blocking back or blocking tight end. Um, I think he's probably has a little more upside of a receiver than Nick Lenners does, but I think going forward he might fill that uh, blocking tight end position. Um, you know, Sammy Wheeler is a guy that I've been excited about for years now, and he's has yet to really break out. I think uh, next year going forward, uh, I'm really hoping that he can be one of the primary receivers in 2022 i you know he was already getting more playing time than a matter baby this year i don't know if that's because a matter baby has been injured or if he's just uh, you know been out producing uh, outperforming in practice uh he's a guy that i think has all the tools he's quick he's got great hands um he's kind of an inconsistent blocker that's one area he really needs to improve on but other than that He's somebody that I think will have a big uh, future going forward. Is there any chance uh, Nick Lenners uses his COVID year and returns for a ninth college season? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I suppose there's always a chance. (laughs) No, uh, honestly, it's just so hard to tell. We're so inconsistent with using our tight ends as pass catchers. Uh, I know they were pretty high on Swanson coming out of high school, and he did play in four games. So probably no chance of seeing him in the bowl game this year. But yeah. Got to hope he's willing to take the next step. I know Fox saw some time this year. So, you know, hopefully one of those guys can also uh, evolve as another pass catching threat, especially if we're running with an inexperienced quarterback next year. Still hard to tell. You know, some of those bigger guys tend to make things a little easier. So, uh, yep, we'll have to wait and see. Swanson's actually a redshirt freshman this year, so he can he's already redshirted and he's got uh, he can play as much as he wants. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at the official, like the K-State sports roster, and yes, Richard Freshman. Yeah, Clint, why didn't you know that? <laughs> uh, let's, My bad. Uh, no, you're good. You're good, Netter. Let's uh, let's go look at the defense now. And man, uh, 
I know, Clint, we, we were talking about this, Nutter, before you had a chance to hop on, but man, like K-State really knocked it out of the park in the transfer market last year uh, in terms of the production that they got. Like really, when you get down to it, you hit on Stubbs, you hit on Russ Yeast, who was, you know, got uh, some outlets had him as a first team all Big 12 safety uh brents again another guy i would i would say arguably some people might have differing opinions here but i i think again with his size and, and i never really felt like brents was a terrible liability at corner and uh, he was he was fine uh, again not total uh, not an outstanding you know all big 12 caliber type but did perfectly fine there timmy horn again another guy that you hit on really the the only noticeable miss in the transfer market was was with Munoz and, and again some people had very jaded expectations of what he would be able to do I think a lot of us looked at that linebacker room and saw how thin it was and thought maybe he, this is a guy who comes in is not just just a depth piece but um ended up being really nothing more I mean really the only thing most people will nerds that like us at least will remember Munoz for is being offsides on that kickoff against Texas Tech so um I, I just I say all that to to underscore that a lot of transfers, a lot of talent will be leaving the defensive side. So you're going to have some holes, uh, particularly uh, when you look at that defensive line, that there's some concern uh, up the middle. Uh, but Clint, I know it's sounding like we're hopeful to see Eli Huggins coming back. That would that would be a huge get if he does elect to come. Yeah, that's the word on the street. And, uh, you know, Huggins is one of the reasons he's so great is because he's so versatile. He can, in this new uh, defensive formation they've been running this past year, uh, he can play on the outside of defensive end. He can play inside at more of that nose tackle position. Um, you know, with Timmy Horn leaving, um, he's more of the traditional nose tackle body size. And there's nobody really on this team that uh, is going to be able to fill that. We do have a Juco guy coming in. Uh, another name that I'm not really going to even try until I hear it out loud. Um, but uh, he hasn't signed yet. He's expected to sign in February. Um, he's more of that body size, but uh, I don't think they're really expecting him to come in and start right away. Um, so having Huggins in there who has experience playing in the middle uh, would be huge because there's really nobody else on this team that I, I would feel very comfortable getting those starting uh, reps in there. But Huggins, that's that's kind of your your question spot as of right now. And again, it's certainly pointing toward him coming back uh, for another season. But really out, outside of that, Jalen Pickle, again, some people have expressed some concerns with it. I think K-State's gotten plenty out of him uh, and particularly over the last four or five games. I feel like I've been seeing him contribute a lot more. And, and a lot of this also gets back to the way that that climate and company coach these guys the way that they in, uh, incorporate that that double rep system where the guys who are twos are are really going to have the opportunity to see the field and I think Jalen Pickle penciling him in as a starter you're not going to be seeing any kind of significant drop off again good size there at six four and three hundred uh, we already know what we got on the edge with um, <laughs> with King Felix. Um, I guess uh, any any other guys on the defensive line as we look at the two deep here, I, I know Clint, a guy we should probably touch on is Tyrone Tolini. Can we see him potentially take a jump uh, this coming season? 
Yeah, Tallini is a very athletic guy who they've put a lot of weight on and moved from defensive end to defensive tackle. And now he's kind of in that tweener position, which, you know, is kind of what they need on that outside defensive tackle type position. Um, you know, Pickle, I, I agree with you. I really like him. I just don't know if he's going to be the interior defensive tackle that they need. I think he's very solid as far as an outside um, defensive tackle position, which I assume they have like a specific name for. Um, but for the time being, I'm just going to call it outside defensive tackle. Um, you know, Tallini, I do agree. He's not someone who's had a ton of uh, football experience in his life. So just getting another year. I think he could uh, have a lot of improvement. <clears throat> uh, Robert Hentz is a guy that we haven't really talked about uh, throughout this year. He's a senior. He could come back for another year. Um, that would be great for our depth. Um, he's a guy who actually, even though he's undersized, he can play that interior position. Um, you know, as far as defensive end goes, that's about as stacked as any position on the team. As you said, we had King Felix. Uh, we got Khalid Duke coming back from injury. We got Nate Matlack. I mean, those are three stud defensive ends that uh, would play on just about any K-State team throughout history, no matter how good that defense is. And then you got a guy like Spencer Trussell, who's kind of the unsung hero. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, maybe not hero, but he's, uh, he's definitely a very solid depth piece in there. And then a few more young guys coming up who uh, haven't got any playing time yet, but just a really solid position. So I think for the, uh, for the ones uh, we're saying King Felix tentatively, Eli Huggins, uh, Jalen pickle, and then Khalid Duke coming back at that. Again, that hybrid position DN, uh, you know, again, we're, we're going to go out on a limb and assume that uh, Klanderman and company will continue to, use that three, three, five look more often than not. So uh, getting Khalid Duke back into the fold will be huge uh, for this group. Uh, we haven't, we didn't even talk about Nate Lack, uh, Nate Latmack, Matt Lack. Um, <laughs> I think he is solidly in, in the, as a two, as it stands right now, but again, not a guy that I, he's certainly not going to be a guy who just rides the, the bench waiting for his opportunity. He will absolutely get, plenty of snaps this come uh, this next fall and that being said let's go ahead and shift gears look at the linebackers we said it with uh, a few moments ago daniel green starter with the bullet uh forget about it so i think all the co the conversation is going to surround who's going to be the running mate alongside him and then who are we looking as far as backups go um and i guess to your uh, to start off with a broader question there is this a position where I think, and we know K-State lost out on a transfer, a potential transfer from Delaware, lost to Iowa State in that uh, recruiting battle. But do you guys expect K-State to try to go back into the transfer market to land a, another linebacker to run at that spot? Absolutely. If not one, maybe two. I mean, yep. the, the, the next two guys on the linebacker depth chart are both walk-ons. And no offense to them. I mean, they both can hold their own. We saw Nick Allen and Austin Moore play this year. But if you're trying to compete for uh, the top of the Big 12, you need uh, you know as many studs as you can find. And so if, if you can't find uh, your first guy, you go to your second guy. If you can't find your second guy, you go to your third guy, and so on and so on until you can build some solid depth there because we've been missing out on that depth at linebacker for a long time now, it seems like at least. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of younger guys, we got – uh, Gavin Hasselhorst, um, 
you know, where's Crew Jackson going to play? Where's Devontae Pritchard going to play? They're both got kind of unique body sizes uh, listed as linebackers, but they could kind of play in different positions around. Um, you know, right now, linebacker really looks like a weak spot, but you get one stud transfer, uh, maybe find a younger guy to really step up, and uh, you already got Daniel Green, who's a monster back there. Linebacker could turn into a strength pretty quickly. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty hopeful on that reader kid from Delaware. Obviously, didn't go our way. Hate to lose another one to Iowa State, but that's the way it goes, I guess. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be, you know, behind quarterback, maybe priority number one on the transfer market. I'd really like to find someone with multiple years to where this doesn't become a, a Band-Aid situation. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, like Clint said, you might even try to find two guys. That might be harder to pull. Knowing the style of defense we run, you're basically asking a guy to come in knowing he's going to be a backup. But uh, at the same time, yeah, there's definitely cause for concern. Until one of these younger guys in, you know, either last year's recruiting class or this year's recruiting class shows that they're ready to roll. I mean, it's, yeah, you're going to have to hit the transfer market pretty hard at that position. That's why I'm holding out hope that our boy Tobio is ready to go day one. Just go ahead and throw him in, throw him in there next to Daniel Green and see what happens. No, I'm... I tell you what, if Toby and Felix are on the field at the same time, I feel really bad for every television announcer we have next year. <laughs> you know, I, I saw someone on KSO post today talking about these linebackers that uh, freshman line, true freshman linebackers don't play. And that's not really true. I mean, we had Trey Walker, we had um, Blake Slaughter, uh, Elijah Lee, they all played as true freshmen. So there's no reason why uh, some of these guys can't get in there and get some quality playing time. Absolutely. And this staff, again, has shown the penchant that they're they're very modern in their, their thinking uh, about playing underclassmen. And again, not to disparage Bill Snyder and company, but we know uh, he certainly had a preference in terms of the guys who were getting the reps in practice, the guys who were getting the starting jobs on the field, and that tended to skew much more in line with the guys who had the experience in the program. Not to say that one way is better or one way is worse, but you know you do have to be willing to take some chances from time to time, and I, I think the staff will certainly do that, especially if if they're not seeing the the significant kind of impact. You know, if it's if they swing and miss and we're confronted with that option of of Nick Allen and Austin Moore I think all of a sudden if that's who you're looking at having running alongside Daniel Green I think all of a sudden it does become an instance where somebody like Toby can maybe have his name uh, get tossed out there and maybe have a chance to see the field we'll see what's what there but again right now uh, as far as Clint's projections on the two deep right now we have Daniel Green and linebacker spot one and then transfer in spot two so right now we're keeping our fingers crossed for transfer so we'll see uh, again I have to imagine that is the staff's again Dare I, is certainly priority two right behind quarterback. And for all we know, it could be priority number one because this defense certainly needs some help at that position. But we'll we'll round things out on the defensive side of the ball now looking at the secondary. Like we touched on uh, going into this part of the discussion, you, you lose Jerron McPherson, you lose Stubbs. Who, Stubbs has played damn near. <laughs> if you told Stubbs to play at defensive end, he certainly would like that. We just put that kid in every spot on the field. Um, so McPherson, Ross Elder, Stubbs, Lewis T. Denson to the portal. Uh, you do have solid corners, I think we both feel, 
in, in Brent's and in Echo. But Clint, what are what are your, our thoughts here on those other <laughs> the other positions? Because we we definitely have some openings that we need to fill in the secondary. Yeah. So if we don't find a transfer at any other position, uh, you know, except maybe quarterback, I I wouldn't feel awful. But uh, if we don't find some real impact transfers at at least three of these uh, defensive back positions, then we are screwed because there is just about nobody on the depth chart past uh, past the starters at cornerback. There's nobody on the team that I know of that's really played nickelback. Um, You know, is Sincere Mason coming back to play safety? Is he going to be healthy? If not, then we have a safety spot that's completely wide open. I mean, we got – TJ Smith and Marvin Martin have played a good amount in their first couple of years. Uh, Marvin Martin's only been here one year. TJ Smith's two years uh, past that. I mean, it's Hunter Henry and true freshman. Um, you know, we desperately need some uh, impact transfers coming in. And as it stands right now, not expecting uh, Justin Gardner, one of, and he played, uh, he was a second uh, team corner, not expecting him to come back. To, to add depth there. So you take a hit on that front. Um, you, you sincere Mason is another kind of a wild card there, uh, sustain the injury uh, in the latter part of this season. Uh, but that's a guy who could potentially come back. Uh, I don't think we're feeling great about the prospect of him returning uh, TJ Smith. I, I can't, I feel, you know, bad for not mentioning him. Another, again, a Georgia Georgia kid coming in here and having a, a, a decent impact. Uh, once uh, McPherson went down uh, in that Baylor game, TJ Smith really filled in admirably in that contest and played very well against Texas in the se- uh, regular season finale, I should say. So having TJ Smith, who was just a redshirt freshman, you know, I, I don't feel as bad throwing him in there. But again, um, this is this is certainly a position group where you're you're going to need to tap transfers for to to not only for for depth sake again with so many guys departing and and leave in and guys that you aren't expected to have come back and use their COVID year, uh, you, you're you're going to have to refortify this this unit for sure. Um, Nutter, I know I haven't had given you an opportunity to weigh in here. Um, did you have any other? Parting thoughts on the secondary uh, before we get ready to to wrap this one up. No, I got to start talking before Clint because he covers pretty <laughs> much everything I can think to cover. No, the portal has not been kind to K-State in that a lot of guys I think they were counting on to be contributors are outgoing at this point. So, uh, no, right there with you that like that needs to be a point of emphasis. Maybe not the point of emphasis, but definitely a couple of names. Again, you know, I, guys like Stubbs, you know, came in and were amazing, but like really would like to find some guys with, you know, at least a couple of years left. So, uh, yeah, hope, you know, Kleiman's had pretty, pretty good success in the portal so far. So hoping he can just keep that ball rolling. Well, I didn't even mention Kobe Savage, Nutter. thought you'd talk about him. I mean, that's a guy we're getting at as a Juco uh, player. He's got at least two years, maybe three since. I believe I, he has three. And I yeah, did I not mention that earlier? I thought I did. Well, you know, that was a while ago. We've been at this for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, no, he, he's a guy who's going to fill in somewhere, but I, I just don't know where, whether it's safety or maybe they slide him down to nickel. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's a guy who's really rangy, great ball skills. Uh, I think he's going to be someone that we're comparing to uh, Stubbs here in a year from now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. And the fact that we could have him, you know, in Manhattan potentially for three years is pretty big. And Clint, I think you alluded to it a minute ago. I do think that if he's healthy and up for it, you need to put the full court press on trying to get sincere Mason to come back because, uh, that would certainly ease the growing pains for, you know, at least one new guy next year. So, yeah, I, I assume it was a ACL tear that he had. I, I don't know that for certain, but uh, they alluded to him being out for quite a while. And, you know, we, we just had Sebastian Taylor try to make his way back after that uh, big knee injury, and he just really couldn't get back at all. Uh-huh. So was, counting on was, someone like Sincere Mason where you just have no idea is kind of scary with his uh, little depth as we had back there. Mason was the the collision on the the kick. Right, like we were trying to field a kick or a punt, rather. Yeah, it was Tyrone Howe that knocked into him on his way out of Manhattan. <laughs> Shouldn't have laughed as hard as, as I did. <laughs> uh, insult to injury there, uh, but Literally. that is that is our uh, projection there as far as the depth chart goes. I know um, this. The, the ceiling for next year's team still there's there's so much unknown and I think a lot of that doesn't like there's just a lot of again uncertainty around what this program is going to be here over the next couple of years and I think that being said I wanted to take a time and talk you know a higher level uh, macro question here the the offensive coordinator is part of the discussion here and I guess let let's just start there the the names that have been floated out, um, Colin Klein, who is your interim, who will lead the offense in the bowl game. You have Matt Wells, the former Texas Tech head coach, who was, despite having his best year at Texas Tech, they were five and three when he was fired. Um, he, he was looking for employment. And then uh, the the name that, that surfaced pretty much, I, I'd say not immediately after, but in short order after Messingham and K-State parted ways was Tim Polasek. Uh, I don't know if I'm butchering the pronunciation on the name, but that is your offensive coordinator at Wyoming, who not shockingly has ties back to Iowa and North Dakota State. So those are the, the main three candidates, and there's obviously the field at this point. But I guess if you guys – Where's your lean right now on on this? Do do you feel like any of either of the three names that I mentioned are will be the one leading this this offense next year, or is it something where the field has a better shot? Well, we based better. on the based on Kleiman's comments today, I mean, you know, saying that finding a new offensive coordinator is at the bottom of his to do list. And knowing that Colin Klein's essentially getting an audition here, whether or not you want to call it that, you got to think that he's probably has as much of an inside track as anybody. Um, I probably would have leaned that way anyway. Um, I know Polasek's name was really popular out of the gate, but it sounds like, you know, there might not be as much smoke there as was as we originally thought. I don't know how seriously you can really consider Wells at this point, other than Kleiman does know him. Um I personally think that would be a great hire. Um, but if those, if those are the three we're looking at, I would say Klein's probably the most likely of the three. Obviously, you know, we'll see how the month of bull prep goes and then the bull game itself and, you know, what other options might be out there that aren't necessarily being discussed. But, yeah, I would probably lean Klein of those three. 
Yeah, I think it's Klein's job to lose. Um, that doesn't really excite me. Uh, it doesn't really upset me. It just kind of I, – I don't think there's someone out there who's going to really blow me away. I, I do kind of like the idea of having Wells um, just because for some reason, you know, my – Stupid football brain tells me that if you get a former head coach as your offensive coordinator, that's a good move. I but, hear you. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> but there, there's nothing really um, that I think that's going to super improve our offense or anything. He's not going to bring in this high-flying offense that uh, starts bringing in the recruits or anything like that. We're still going to run the same basic offense. Um, as long as we're not doing something stupid like having a – you know co-offensive coordinators that one calls a running play and one calls a passing play and then the head coach gets to decide on which one it is i mean that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard of but uh jordy nelson like go get jordy nelson <laughs> jordy nelson and darren sproles co-offensive coordinators there it is we're done they, they want guys they want the job you just got and, and i i guarantee you darren's got three five-star running backs and succeeding classes all lined up we just got to throw a little bit of cash at him and it's a done damn deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's, uh, to your point, Clint, again, uninspiring might be unfair, but that's that's kind of where I land on this. And I, I think the, the bigger thing that always, that has made me smile throughout all this, the, the notion that we're going to just be drastically overhauling the offensive system, playing, uh, you know, and somehow migrating away from the whole overarching philosophy that climate has, which again, is not all that dissimilar from Bill Snyder and that, that this is, it is complimentary football. It is playing the time of possession game. It is reducing the number of possessions that you give to your opponent. It's ball control. It's everything that Snyder wanted the offense to do. And that's everything that this offense will continue to do. I, I think regardless of who they, they bring in as OC now, I guess my 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 higher level or my ma- more macro level program type question is. Th- I, I think there's there's a lot riding it. And, and do you guys dis- if you disagree, please speak up. But I think just with the fact that K-State really hasn't, I, I would say, has not hit on quarterback yet. And that has been a big concern, you know, obviously with Skyler now <laughs> finally exhausting all of his eligibility. The fact that the staff has not hit on a quarterback yet, we've not identified the future of that position, and now we're changing offensive coordinators. Uh, I mean, do do we feel like the Kleiman experiment maybe is in danger of coming to an end here? It, it, I don't believe it's going to be after next season unless things just totally, you know, implode. But I, I feel like we're we're just going to be really living in this middling seven and five eight and four purgatory to some you know for some of us a lot of fans are pretty grateful to have those types of seasons but some fans expect more i i just feel like we're we're just venturing into that area where we're not really going to see this program ascend up to the level that so many people want it to um if you go and you get klein and then and if you don't hit on martinez there's a lot of ifs here but I just feel like there's a there's some danger when we're treading on very dangerous waters here as far as the future of the program goes. Uh, I'll turn it over to you guys and let you offer your thoughts. I think it's very early to count out Rubley as being 
someone who's not going to turn into a good quarterback uh, or even a stud elite quarterback. I mean, he came in as one of the highest rated recruits K-State's ever had. Um, I, I'm just about ready to give up on Will Howard. I mean, obviously, I want someone to come in and uh, take his place next year. Uh, he's still somewhat young, I guess you could say, even though he has experience. Um, I'm ready to move forward on that. But uh, so even, you know, even if we miss this year on our quarterback, we still have somebody who has potential at least. And that's not a mud, that's not a lot to go on, but uh, you know, I always have hope. So that's just uh, kind of my, the card in the back uh, in, in the deck. I'm still uh, hoping that K-State has to play. Yeah. I think one thing that's easy to forget with Rubley is like, he basically didn't even have a senior high school season. Like it's been a long time since he's played meaningful organized football. Um, you know, all that to be said, yeah, I don't think it's time to like completely mail it in on him yet. There's definitely still, you know, we weren't the only school going after him and there were some name programs going after Jake Rubley at the time. So it's like, I think there's definitely still potential there and, you know, a chance for that to work out. Um, unfortunately, I think any, any prospect of Howard being the guy at this point is probably gone. I think if he was going to be the guy, we would have seen something from him that, that Texas loss is still pretty hard to chew on. And I know he didn't make any catastrophic errors that we've talked about so many times this season, but like it was pretty clear that our offense was going to be painfully limited with him taking snaps. And I worry that it's going to be more of the same and you're not going to win a lot of games doing that. So, uh, I mean, yes, Kleiman's legacy will probably hinge on what we can figure out at the quarterback position, because <laughs> as much as we'd like to see Skyler back, you know, that this is it for him. The bowl game's going to be it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, no, we're not, I don't think next year defines whether or not Kleiman's career comes to an end. If for no other reason than the buyout in his contract financially wouldn't allow us to, but uh, no, I mean, that, that's something we got to get figured out in a hurry. I mean, the clock's definitely ticking. You definitely hit on it there, Nutter. The the proverbial clock is ticking on this staff. And again, there's so many elements to unpack with with where this program is in, in year four of the Chris Kleiman experiment. I know we touched on it a little bit earlier in the show that the, the acquisition of Adrian Martinez is a big coup here in the immediate future and it does put you in a position where you can pretty comfortably talk about getting to six seven potentially eight wins so making it to a bowl game in 2022 but you need to start projecting beyond that who's going to be in the quarterback room in 2023 how are those guys going to mesh with whoever the new offensive coordinator ends up being that's a pretty big question that needs to be answered. And I think I, I share in a lot of other friends frustration in wondering why, why in year four do we have so much uncertainty at the most vital position on, on the team, to be honest. And again, Skyler just happened to fall into Kleiman's lap. So I'm not trying to be dismissive in that sense, but this staff in, in four years, the biggest signing is Jake Rubley, who to this point we haven't had a chance to see. And frankly, the the, the underlying story here in going after Martinez, the, the really the story, the narrative that no one is talking about, by going after Martinez, 
you're not so subtly saying that okay we as a staff have looked at what we have with rubley and what we have with howard and candidly we don't feel like either one of those two guys can get us to a level next season where we're comfortably talking about making six wins that to me is a pretty damning statement and i think fans fans wouldn't have been thrilled but if if there had been enough buzz about rubley and if if you were able to roll him out there next year and get to six wins and he looks more competent by the end of the season, I think fans would say, okay, this was a guy who hasn't played quarterback now in organized football for a couple of years. He's, he's taken strides and he's gotten us to a point now where we're in the postseason in his first year, in his freshman year as a starting QB. I think fans would have been able to, to look past some of the hardships that you probably would have endured with Rubley under center in 2022, but the staff wasn't even willing to do that. Now, is that more of a byproduct of how fickle fans are, how unruly they can be, how maybe unrealistic expectations are? I'm sure that plays into it a little bit, but I'm almost of the belief that I, I would have rather seen Rubley go and, and just endure the growing pains. And if that results in a, in a four and eight or a five and seven next season, I almost would have been willing to take that on just to see what you have with him. And because again, frankly, getting Martinez is nothing more than a stopgap. So that's, that's really just going to do nothing more than buy you just a season at the end of the day. You still have to hope the staff, I think, is still hoping that Rubley is going to be your quarterback in 2023 and beyond. Now, I know there's another name out there. A lot of K-State fans obviously hoping that Avery ends up signing and, and committing to play for Kleiman and company. But that's something that's that's still out there in the ether. We don't know where he's leaning right now. So some justifiable concerns. And there's obviously un, a lot of uncertainty surrounding the the program right now but perhaps k-state fans will get a little bit more clarity following the wildcats performance in the bowl game we know colin klein has been tabbed as the interim offensive coordinator and this could be a little bit more than just a, a an interim tag this could be a dress rehearsal and seeing whether or not he's going to get the position full-time heading into 2022 and i think that again will help perhaps put some some concerns to rest for Kansas State fans. Uh, the Wildcats, as we know, will be squaring off against LSU in the Tax Act Texas Bowl down in Houston. K-State's been in this bowl a couple of times in program history, most recently the 33-28 win over Texas A&M in the 2016 Texas Bowl. And then you have to go all the way back to the 2006 season, uh, the year in which K-State uh, rolled out Josh Freeman, Wildcats were able to finish that year seven and five ended up facing off against a very talented Rutgers team in the Texas bowl and got thoroughly waxed in that game. I was in attendance for that one. It was not an entertaining watch in the least, but you have to be excited about the, the prospect of taking on LSU and potentially taking down a team that won the national championship just two seasons ago. That was my main takeaway when I saw the announcement. How did you guys react when you found out K-State was going to be facing off against LSU? Oh, I thought it was a pretty good deal for K-State that they were able to play a, you know, a program that's like LSU that has the history they do. And to uh, get them in a pretty down year where they uh, should have a pretty good chance of beating them. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, and then all this, all their transfers came out. You know, obviously they have their weird coaching situation. 
And it's starting to turn into a game where it'd be kind of embarrassing if K-State lost this game, especially if they have to go with their walk-on quarterback. Um, you know, as of, uh, I think today on Twitter, I was seeing that they were still trying to get an exemption to let their uh, freshman quarterback play in his fifth game, yet still retain his red shirt. If that happens, that's complete bullshit. Oh, that um, would be a crock. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In, in a bowl, in a bowl game. Yeah, like. Um, yeah, I kind of liken it to the Wild Wings Bowl against Michigan, where like we drew a name opponent in a year, like you said, where they're absolutely beatable and we probably should win. But like no one's going to remember that four or five years from now when you look at our bowl history that like it was a down year for them. It's just going to be, oh, cool. We beat LSU in a bowl game. So, yeah, it's I don't know. I was pretty like I was disappointed that because I think the loss to Texas at the end of the year really kind of hurt our hurt our shot at, you know, uh, maybe a higher higher tier bowl game but like the draw of a name opponent kind of made up for that so had k-state taking care of business against texas the wildcats could have potentially leapfrogged isu in the bowl pecking order there and you would have had the opportunity to face off against clemson perennial obviously college football playoff contender uh, i don't know if clemson has a coaching staff anymore with tony elliott announcing he's going to be the head coach at virginia and brent venables as we know uh, has accepted the job to coach at Oklahoma. Uh, don't want to dive too far into that rabbit hole because it's just going to make me angry. But to bring it back to this bowl game for Kansas State, again, it's a great opportunity for the Wildcats. Uh, we've heard no players intend to, to opt out of this one, so that's a great announcement. And, and again, that, that goes a long way in showing the motivation here for Kansas State. Uh, I don't think you ever have to question whether or not this team will be up to, to compete in any one game. I think that's probably the major concern for LSU fans. There's been a number of opt-outs, guys that have been announced that they're going into the transfer poll portal, most notably Max Johnson, who was QB1 for them this season. There, There's a lot on the LSU side of the equation that has to make you somewhat concerned. Frankly, I think that's going to be the, the, the really the main talking point in this game, whether or not LSU is motivated to play, whether or not they, they have any care in the world about being in this bowl game. And again, that's where I think it plays obviously to K-State's advantage that you are looking at a team that's just two seasons removed from a national championship. The head coach that took them to that national title is no longer leading the program. There's a lot to unpack with that and, and we're going to dedicate a full episode to talking about the bowl game and to preview that in, in earnest for you guys we just kind of wanted to get initial thoughts on, on k-state selection here still very much excited about that playing in a bowl game in january when you're you know you're up there with the likes of the cotton and the fiesta and everything it's nice to be playing in in that time of the bowl season as opposed to playing on December 22nd, you know, when there's typically lower tier bowl games, this is going to be a, a fun one. And I hopefully this does result in a, in a, in a wildcat victory. And we get to see Skylar and a number of these seniors go out on a high note against a, a high caliber program like LSU. But we'll, as I said, discuss that in much more thorough detail in the week leading up to the bowl game against LSU. Again, that game being played on January 4th. That is going to do it for this installment of College and Kimball. Again, we greatly appreciate all of our listeners for the downloads, for the streams, 
If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is. Give us a rating and review as well. You can follow us on Twitter if you haven't had a chance to. Again, it's college underscore Kimball. With all that said, we'll conclude the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. (laughs) 